Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. How many of you guys are grateful to be in the holiday season? See, this is why we have kids in here, because you guys are boring sometimes. Come on, we need some kids around to keep us alive and excited, right? Come on, the holiday season's a wonderful time. This is, I'm I'm just going to say it's the Christmas season, because it's not just holidays. It's a time where we get to celebrate Jesus and the goodness of God in our lives. And this is, this is kind of the Advent season. We're going to talk a little bit about that here in this morning. But I just, first of all, I want to thank Zach and I want to thank Pastor Rod. I want to thank Larry for the, the words that they brought us through this previous series that we were in, this series on mindset. How many of you guys appreciated the series on mindset, talking about gratefulness and thankfulness in our lives? I just want you to know that's still a process very much so at work in my life. But I am grateful for good biblical teaching that leads us. I thought Pastor Rod did an amazing job last week of, of kind of putting the capstone on this series for us as a church family. And I just want to remind you that as we go through these series, as we spend time in the Word of God, they are not comprehensive by any means. There is no way for us to teach you on all the truths of God's Word and even on the topics that we go through. They're an invitation for you to, to hear a good Word and then to dig in a little bit more on your own to explore the Word of God. In fact, the Bible challenges us that we are to be students of God's Word, right? We're to study it and meditate on it. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. We've had some really great series that we've been in, um, and I'm really thankful for it. I am so excited about Advent season, though. I love what this season represents to us. Um, I love the Christmas decor. How many of you guys like the Christmas decor? Come on now. Come on. It's beautiful and it's fun. We have it both in here and in our lobby. We had some ladies that kind of made that happen for us. I want to thank Haley for getting our stage set up so well. Haley, thank you so much. In the lobby, Wendy, and there was a number of you guys out there. I can't remember all that were out there, but Wendy kind of spearheaded our lobby. And these are just fun spaces for us to be reminded the beauty of the season. And we got reminded of that this week through our weather. Amen. How many of you guys had a little fun Thursday, Friday in the snow? Come on now. No, boo. Well, here's the good news. It's gone because this is Idaho and that's just how that works, right? Um, It's supposed to be 54 on Tuesday. So all of you warm weather people, you can thank God for that. Don't worry, it'll probably snow like two days later. Amen? Uh, But it's just, it's the fun of living in Idaho. But I'm just so grateful that we get to live in such a beautiful place and time in history. And I want to invite you today as we step into this Advent season, as we talk a little bit about it this morning, Advent is really about calibrating our hearts. I just want to help you. It's a tradition that has been a part of the Christian church for many, many years. And there's, there's some spaces that celebrate it and others that don't. And there's nothing like totally biblical about it, but all the concepts around Advent are things that set our hearts into places that are healthy in this time. And so I just want to invite you to jump into Advent with us, and there's, there's some things that we're going to be doing together. The kids have their own Advent projects that they'll be bringing home parents, so it'll be fun things for you to have conversations with them about. We as a church family are kind of taking the journey through this Advent season and just allowing the Spirit of God to continue to teach us. So, so what is Advent? Well, let me, let me give it to you in a nutshell. Advent is all about taking time to remember and celebrate the first coming of Christ, and looking forward in anticipation 
to the second coming of Christ. And we do that by focusing on really four key words you saw in the video today. Hope, peace, which my wife's going to be preaching on next week, so you all better be here. Come on now. And then the following week, Pastor Zach, Lord willing, is going to be talking to us about joy. And then the final week, the, week, the day before Christmas, Christmas Eve, we're going to be talking about love. And these topics help us to orient our hearts around the reminder of what Jesus did for us in his first coming and the beauty of him coming again. And I want to just share this statement with you that will hopefully set our hearts in the right posture as we think about Advent, as we think about not only what Jesus did, but what he's doing in the process of preparing heaven. And we're going to talk about this this morning for you and I and an eternity with him. And here, here's, here's a statement for you. It's important for us to realize that the two comings of Christ are not two separate events, but rather one event with two parts to it. I want you to hear that this morning. Advent and the coming of Jesus Christ and the birth of Christ, they are not separate events. They are one event with two parts to it. It's like a good movie that has a couple really good parts in it, right? That's exactly what we are experiencing in the day and age in which we live. And the same tensions that the people of Israel were processing through in the first coming of Christ, the same realities that they were experiencing in the world that was around them and the struggle and the, their desire to see the Messiah and their, their wrestling with is God good. And why? Because they were living basically in, in slavery and captivity in that time under the Roman Empire. They were wrestling with this tension, is the Messiah really coming? And guess what? God answered that question with an affirmative, yes, he is. I know sometimes we come to these spaces because of the world that we live in and we wrestle. So is the Bible real and is Jesus real? Can I help you this morning? There's more evidence to the, to the existence of Jesus Christ than there is of any other historical character, period. Period. So if you want to break this down into the scientific realm, you've got more evidence to prove that Jesus exists than really anything else throughout history. So, so when we're talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ and what he did, it happened. Just settle that in your heart this morning. Everybody say it happened. It happened. It's truth. It happened. And we know that from, from history as well, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ happened in the same way. So we're not talking about a fun story. We're talking about a real event that has taken place and that gives you and I hope for our future. Amen? So this is why we take communion. For those of you that are wondering what, what communion, we take communion to pause in these moments and to go, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. And thank you that you're coming again. And that's what Advent is all about. Jesus, we're going to take a, a moment and look back at what you did in your first coming, the hope that you brought, how you came and it was very different than what people expected, how you came and it was not in the timing that everybody thought. Can I just help you this morning? It's probably going to be very similar in the second coming. It's going to be different than what we thought. It's probably not going to be in the, the timing that everybody has on their calendars. Not all these things, but here's, here's the truth. He came the first time and he's going to come the second time. And that's all that matters. And so as we process this space, I want to, I want to really in, invite you to set your heart in this reality and set your heart in this peaceful place, which is very hard to do in a very busy season of life, to really embrace these four truths that the Word of God gives us about Jesus' coming and his second coming. 
to let us, maybe as we, we come together every Sunday over these next four weeks, to just take a breath from the busyness of work and the busyness of wrapping presents and gifts and shopping and food and all the things that I just want to remind us we make the season busy with. Jesus never told you to do all those things. We do them because it's a cultural thing that we do. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but if they take away from you being able to live in hope, if they take away from you being able to have peace, if you're missing joy in your life, then you're missing the whole purpose of this season and time. And so I want to invite you to just recalibrate every Sunday when we gather together here to say, Lord, and I invite you to this every week, what do you want me to know today? Today we're going to specifically be talking about hope here in a few minutes. And I, I just want you to know I have a lot to learn about hope. I just want you to know you have a lot to learn about hope. And as I was preparing for this message, I've, I've actually taught in this, I, I can't even actually tell you how many times we've been pastoring for a few years and we've been processing through. So I don't know exactly how many times I've taught on hope and peace and joy, but what I do know is as I sat down over the past couple of weeks to prepare this message, I was like, there was nothing. It was just like, me. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. I'm like, Lord, you got to give me some inspiration. Like, I, I need your help here. And it would me, right? And what I felt the Spirit of God doing is inviting me to lean in just a little bit deeper. To not go off my traditional comforts of, hey, I've got six sermons that I've already done on this. I'm going to pull a little bit from here and a little bit from there. And it's going to make the new and improved message on hope, right? That's, not, that's just not what the Lord invited me to and allowed me to do in this season as we were heading into this. And as Emily's been processing and preparing for her, her, her talk on peace this next week, she's been finding the same thing. It was amazing. Haley showed up this morning, and usually we have our, our worship set already ready to go for the week and all of that, and she got about to the middle of the week and did just wasn't there, like at all. And the Lord invited her to the same thing. This We weren't even talking. The Lord invited her to the same thing. I want you to lean in just a little bit more. And I mean, sometimes God invites us to press in just a little bit more so that we can see something maybe a little bit deeper in who He is. To push back or past our present knowledge into a new revelation that God might have for us today. And that's what I'm believing for you and I today as we explore this space of hope, as we explore this beautiful gift that God gave us in His Son, Jesus, what might God want to unlock in your heart and in my heart and in my understanding today that I didn't know before I walked into here today? And so I'm going to lead us into a passage of Scripture, and it's going to kind of set us on a course here as we talk about Advent, as we talk about this hope space, that I believe God wants to bring some revelation to you in. So as you read, and as I read it to us, I want you to just say, Lord, show me something new through your word today, that my heart would come alive. Remember, his word is alive and active. It's not just a book with words and pages and all of that. It is alive and moving and transforming us into the image of Christ. And today we're going to experience that together. Open up with me, if you would, to John chapter 14. I know that is not a traditional Christmas passage. I got it. We can settle that right now. John chapter 14, verse 1. I just want to set a little context for you around this. This is Jesus and his disciples hanging out. Shocking, I know. Um, but it is around the space of Jesus' betrayal. 
And lots of crazy stuff is kind of going on around Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus is about ready to give them, he's going to drop them a truth that they didn't have prior to this conversation. They thought they were really smart. A lot of us have been in church for a really long time. We've heard lots of messages. We've heard lots of teaching around this place. We feel like we've got it. And I think the disciples were kind of sitting in that spot. They've been chilling with Jesus for three years now. They had it all figured out. Basically, they were teenagers. I'm getting death stares from some of our young folks over here. But come on now. Like they, they just, they, they felt like they'd got it figured out. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is stirring the pot a little bit. And here's what he says in John 14, verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Can I just tell you, when Jesus starts out a conversation that way, be prepared for your heart to be troubled. He's about ready to say something that's going to shake up the comfort space of your life. And so he's giving them this truth and this declaration. Don't let your heart be troubled, mainly because trouble is coming your way. And then he begins to deposit inside of them, and this is what I want you to hear this morning, hope. Here's what he says. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Man, isn't that a cool just invitation from Jesus? Do you know what Jesus' desire is? I want you to hear that this morning. Is for you to always be where he is. Think about that. The creator of the universe's desire is for you to be near to him. He goes on to say, and this is where it gets fun, and you know the way to where I'm going. And there's crickets in the room. The disciples say, no, we don't know, Lord. Like, we don't even know what you're talking about. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And here's the truth bomb from Jesus. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, ouch, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Sounds like Christians today. God, just show me a miracle and I'll believe in you. Come on now. God, just fix this financial thing in my life and, and Lord, you can have my whole life. How many people have made the declaration they're in a car accident or something really bad's going on or they're in the hospital with a family member who's dying and these words come out of our mouth. God, if you'll just fix this situation, I'll do whatever you want me to do. The disciples are saying the same thing. They're the same kind of people as we are. Right? They're working through this space. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Christians, have we been walking with Jesus 
all this time and we still don't know who he is? What a cool, uh, some of you are like, that's not a very nice question. That is a wonderful question. Do you know why it's a wonderful question? Because Jesus was not upset with Philip. He wasn't pointing his his finger at Philip and saying, Philip, you're just, you're a dummy. You just don't get it. What's your problem? No, he's inviting Philip. And the rest of the disciples who are sitting around letting Philip do the talking and looking silly, he's inviting them into this space of relationship with him. He goes on to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you are not my own. But my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Or at least, I love this, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I love this passage of Scripture because Jesus begins it by inviting the disciples into a conversation that they don't want to have. Jesus begins this topic with actually one of his favorite topics and one of the disciples' least favorite topics, him leaving. This raises all kinds of anxiety in the disciples. You can hear it just in the tone of their questions back to him. Right? They've been following him for three years. Come on, put yourself in their shoes. They've been following this man for three years. They've watched him do miracles. He's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. They're like, this has got to be the Messiah. This has got to be the Messiah. Why does he keep telling us he's leaving? We're not done yet. The Romans haven't been overthrown. We're not a freed people. Like, this Jesus, he's got to finish the work. But he keeps telling us that he's leaving. And I don't like the emotion that that's stirring inside of me. The disciples are wrestling with this place. They're probably going to their therapist and being like, Jesus is triggering me all the time. He keeps talking about this space of leaving. Come on now. They're wrestling through this this space in their life because what they had expected Jesus to do, he wasn't doing. I mean, he was doing some cool stuff. But he wasn't doing what they had expected him to do. And he keeps talking about leaving them. And not only leaving them, but he keeps telling them that it's going to be better for him to be gone. How in the world can that work, Jesus? You're the only one that can do all this crazy stuff. I mean, we've got to pray for some people and watch a few of them be healed and all of that. But Jesus, like, you're the man. We're not. And so they're wrestling through this tension. They're trying to work through it. They're at a crossroads with Jesus because they've, they're recognizing that, that something is about ready to shift and they don't think they like the way that it feels. It's uncomfortable to them. And Jesus is coming to them in these moments and he's giving them this beautiful place of understanding. Hey, listen, come and lean into me. Trust me. Know that I am who I say that I am and that the Father has sent me to you. And that in the end, 
I'm going to prepare a place for you that's going to be beautiful and wonderful. Jesus, we're good. We'd just like you to stay here because that makes us feel comfortable. Jesus, it's easier for us to follow you on Sunday mornings in church services because, you know, everybody around is doing the same thing. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that, that's good, but, but I'm going to need you to go out with the good news of the gospel. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be a little hard. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. Why? Because I want you to be with me. And I just hear the same thing of the Holy Spirit speaking over us. He's constantly challenging us. Jesus is inviting us into these places of Kairos. These places of interaction with God and His will for our lives. And His kingdom coming into this earth that looks different than what we expected it to look like. Jesus was inviting the disciples to look at this place of hope for the future and what Jesus was going to do as better than what they had expected him to do in the here and now and in the present. I don't know about you, but I have lots of questions for Jesus about some of the things that take place in the here and now. Why do some people die and some people get their lives extended? Why, why do some people seem to wrestle in certain spaces of their life throughout their whole journey and never really seem to find victory at times? Why, why does that take place? Why do good people have difficult things happen in their lives? And if I'm honest, if I just go to the Scripture, the Scripture illuminates that for me, but my challenge is, is that I'm wrestling through what's going on in here a lot. Anybody else? So I'm wrestling through all the conversations that, I'm going, that are going on in my head. I'm wrestling through the conversations that the world's trying to bring into, put into my life. And I think the disciples were doing the same thing. And Jesus brought this clear truth to them to say, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's better than what you're experiencing right now. And they're like, that doesn't make sense. And then Jesus says, and you know how to get there. And the disciples are like, no, we don't. We don't even know what you're talking about. It's like us sitting here today trying to wrap our minds around eternity and being in heaven with Jesus. And can I be honest? Some of us are more attached to our life here than looking forward to our life there. Why? Because it's what we know. It's what we can feel. It's what we can experience. And, and so for us, it's just, it's just easier to embrace this life as being as good as it gets and not even understanding what's to come. And that's what the disciples were wrestling through. And Jesus was trying to bring to them a hope that was greater than what they were currently living in. Jesus was trying to bring them a perspective about eternity that was so much better. He was trying to bring them, we talk about these a lot, He was trying to bring them a change of heart and mind about something that they had already built up thoughts about. Jesus was inviting them into metanoia, the place where their thoughts were being changed about the things that they were thinking about. They had a perspective of not only what this life was supposed to be like, but what eternity was supposed to be like. That was their mindset. That was whatever tradition that they had grown in up, whether it was learning from, from the Pharisees and Sadducees around them, sitting in synagogue, whatever the context was that they started building their mindset about eternity, they had something built in their mind, and Jesus said, hey, it's going to be different than what you think. In fact, I'm going to prepare it for you, and it's going to be wonderful. And they didn't know what to do in the moment. Anybody here ever had Jesus say something to you that you weren't quite sure what to do with it in the moment? <laughs> Come on, that, that almost feels like a daily occurrence in my life, right? 
And here's part of the reason why, because his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher. So the things that he's inviting you and me to, the difficulties that we're trying to navigate through, the relational dynamics, the the sickness that's around, all of those things are meant for us to learn how to come to him and to trust him more. That's what he was speaking to the disciples right here. Fellas, you have an idea about what all this is supposed to be like. I need you to know that your idea is not my idea. It's something different. And so he was inviting them into this place of figuring out what real hope is all about. He was trying to set into their hearts something for the future that was going to empower them and enable them to navigate what Jesus knew was ahead of them. And I just want to remind all of us in the room that all 12 disciples died for the gospel. Well, that doesn't seem very fun. He didn't didn't invite them into Santa Claus. He invited them into the mission of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And for that, every one of them paid a very high price. And so here's what I want to do this morning. And I'm going to share with you a video that's going to talk about biblical hope. The Bible Project does an amazing job of walking through Scripture. And so we're going to take just a moment here and we're going to unpack hope for a second. And it's going to bring us into this place of how do we connect this in our day-to-day lives. Let's watch this video. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava. The feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, At this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find this same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better, but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. 
God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know, a lot of times we, we take words for granted because we don't understand the substance that they were written in and maybe the context that they were written around. I just want to compare and contrast a little bit. Clearly, biblical hope is very different than American hope, than the word that we utilize for hope in our day and age. Right? We, we put... The context of hope often in around things that we, we are wishing for in our lives. Biblical hope is not built upon a wish or a desire. Biblical hope is built on a certainty of a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And here's the cool part about this is, is if Jesus said he was going to do something, he's going to do it. So even in our hoping and longing for His return, even for the, the place that we set our hope in when it comes to salvation in Him, we're not guessing on this. We're not guessing on, oh, will, will this actually produce anything in our lives? I just want you to know this morning, your hope is in a certainty because Jesus is the one who our hope is in. He already died, He already rose from the dead, and He is preparing a place for you and I to return to. That's some good news for us. So when we talk about this Advent season, we're not, and, and we look back at what Jesus did in his first coming, and we're looking forward to what he's going to do in his second coming. This is not a hope as in, man, if everything goes right, Jesus will return. That's not what this hope is about. This hope is about a certainty that Jesus said he's coming back, and he's going to come back. And in the meantime, guess what we get to do? We get to hope, which the biblical term is? To wait. To wait with anticipation for his return. To wait for him. To learn how to press into relationship with him. 
And the reason why I think this is just such a fascinating and beautiful thing for us in our day and age is because in the world that we live in today, we are in a crisis of hope. Think about the people that are around you. Think about what's going on in a geopolitical standard around the world. Think about what's just happening with your neighbors and the people in life and they're dealing with financial tra- Hopelessness is one of the, the, the root things that is driving people in today's culture and hopelessness leads us to fear. And we live in a culture that is saturated with both. And this is, we're actually living in a, a time and a generation where we, in America, we are actually the most depressed generation that has ever existed in the history of humanity. And yet we have all the stuff that we could ever imagine. You can go into a Walmart and literally get about anything that you wanted. I was just there yesterday, I know. Come on. And yet we're hopeless. We are the most medicated, the most psychiatrically treated culture in the history of humanity. People's stuff will never be the answer for the, the longing of our heart in hope. Our hope has to be firmly rooted in something. To, I looked at a Harvard study, and some of you are like, Harvard? No, I used a Harvard study intentionally because it's the antithesis of everything that the Bible teaches most of the time. But a Harvard study says that one of the deepest needs of humanity is hope. In fact, it says it this way, that uh, hope is the beginning of to reveal the value in the scientific community today. Among young adults with chronic illness, greater degrees of hope are uh, positively associated. In other words, absolutely without fail, associated with improved coping mechanisms, well-being, and engagement in healthy behavior. It also protects against depression and suicide. Among teens, hope is linked to help to their health indefinitely. In other words, without hope in people's lives, we see exactly what's going on in our culture today. Suicide rates at all-time high, all highs, anxiety, depression, ravaging the hearts of our young people. Why? Because they have no hope. Their hope has been placed in America or in a good job or in a good education. And how many of you know that those things are all very unstable in the world that we live in today? And yet we have this beautiful gift given to us from God in the person of Jesus Christ. Biblical hope is waiting on an already promised thing. In other words, if Jesus said it, it's going to happen. I'm not wishing for it to happen. You're not wishing for it to happen. Jesus is going to return. And that is what this Advent season is all about. To remind us that he came once and he's going to do it again. And that our hearts and the busyness of life and all the things that we're, we're coping with, we're invited into this place, listen to me, of certainty in our lives. And this is the greatest gift that I feel like I can, I can share with you this morning. If you've placed your hope in Jesus Christ, then you have certainty for your future. I don't care what your bank account says. I don't care if your business fails or succeeds. I don't care if you get the college degree. I don't care if you find the spouse, the, the perfect other half of you. Here's what I want you to understand. All of those things will create inside of you hopelessness. But when we put our faith and our confidence in the person and the character of Jesus Christ, we have certainty for the future that's ahead of us. So let the winds blow. 
let the crazy stuff happen. We are a people who are firmly rooted in the hope that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is one of the things that Paul, and I want to close with this today. Paul spoke to the early church, and he took it out of some teaching from Jesus. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And I just want you to listen to this for a moment this morning. In fact, if you would, would you just close your eyes this morning? I'm going I'm to actually read this over you, but I'm going to read it as a prayer over your life. Because this was Paul's heart for the early church, the Roman church. And I want to pray it over you. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we sit here today, Lord, we're not wishing for you to return. Lord, we know that you're going to return. And Lord, as we head into this holiday season, we're not in a search for for joy or peace or any of those things. Jesus, you are that in our lives. And Lord, what we're asking for today is that you would recalibrate the way that we think. And that Lord Jesus, we would be reminded that our hope solely rests in you. And Lord, I'm praying for an infilling of your Holy Spirit of hope into every person in this room. That, Lord, as we see the joy of the holiday season in front of us, Lord, as we walk through all the tension that surrounds that, all the family relationships, all the struggles with money, Lord, that we would not allow those to be the things that define this Advent season for us. Lord, may we not allow those things to be the things that define our emotional and mental well-being. Lord Jesus, may we only find that in you. And Lord, we thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you are our living hope. You are alive and you are preparing a place for us to come and to spend eternity with you. And Lord, we fix our eyes on that, your goodness in our lives. God, we don't deserve it, but you've invited us to it. And Lord, I pray that in this season, Lord, where the pressures of life tend to come in and squeeze us, Lord, Lord, that we would resist that, God, with the truth of your word. Lord, that we have certainty and hope in you. And Lord, as we process through peace and as we process through joy, God, may those be the hallmark of this holiday season for us, Lord. Lord, that we would give the gift to hope of the people, to the people that surround us, God. Lord, that we would give the gift of peace and joy. Jesus, because you so freely gave it to us, Lord, may we be those, your ambassadors, who give it to the people that are around us, Lord. And Lord, for those of us that are struggling in the tension of the moment, Lord, Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit, God, to come and to produce inside of us, Lord, the truth that only your word can, Lord, a peace that passes all understanding. Lord, hope for the future that is ahead of us. So Lord, today we just surrender ourselves to you, God. We say thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, we say thank you for the life that he lived and the future that he holds in his hands, Lord, as we follow after you. Lord, do an incredible thing in us in this holiday season, Lord. Lord, may we be those, Lord, that truly carry the gift and the presence of Jesus in our lives, Lord. Lord, and bring that life to the people that surround us. Lord, we thank you for it, God. In Jesus' name.
Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.